the coronation of George VI and Elizabeth as king and queen of the United Kingdom took place at Westminster Abbey in London on May the 12th of 1937. The ceremony began with the anointing of the king, symbolizing his spiritual entry into kingship, and then his crowning and enthronement, representing his assumption of the, the temporal powers and responsibilities. The return procession to Buckingham Palace was over six miles, making it the longest coronation procession up to that time. Crowds of people lined the streets to watch this procession. 32,000 soldiers took part. 20,000 police officers lined the routes. The coronation was commemorated by the issuing of official medals, coinage, and stamps, by military parades across the empire, and by numerous unofficial celebrations, including street parties and the production of memorabilia. The event was designed to be not only a sacred anointing and formal crowning, but also to be a public spectacle, which was also planned as a display of the British Empire. May 1937 included a, a program of royal events lasting nearly the entire month to commemorate and mark the occasion. The media played an important role in broadcasting this show of pageantry and, and to the empire. The coronation was an important event in the history of television, being the country's first major uh, outside broadcast. Although television cameras were not allowed inside the Abbey, it was the first coronation to be filmed as well as the first to be broadcast on radio. Sounds like quite the event. With all the advancements over the 80 years since, we can only imagine what future coronations will be like. Coronations are not humble. Coronations are not always, are not unexpected. They are not unplanned. They are not unofficial. They are not spontaneous. They are not temporary. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was all of those. His entrance was humble. His entrance was unexpected. His entrance was unofficial. His entrance was spontaneous and temporary of sorts. Would you please find the Gospel of Mark in your copy of the Scriptures? It's the second half. It's in the second half of the Christian New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter number 11 this morning. Mark 11, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and he said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say that the Lord has need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door without in a place, 
were the two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto him, What do ye loosing the colts? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus has commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all the things, and now the eventide was come, and he went out into Bethany with the twelve. There's an important rabbit trail that we should take note of in order to properly understand the kingship of Jesus Christ. What Mark is describing here in this 11th chapter is not the true coronation of Jesus Christ. This is a, a faux coronation. It's not the real deal. It's a fake. The true coronation of King Jesus has two parts. The first happened at the ascension of Christ when he left the earth and he ascended into heaven. He took his seat at the right hand of God. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he was then given the name of Lord, which is the name above every name. We visited that thought last week when we considered his exaltation as is discussed in Isaiah chapter 52. Jesus has already had his heavenly coronation, but he has not yet received his earthly coronation. Revelations uh, 19 and 20 describe his earthly coronation that is yet to come. He will reign for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. And then, as we sang this morning, he will reign forever and ever. Because of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what we have here in Mark 11 is neither his heavenly coronation that we read of in Acts and Philippians or the earthly coronation that we read of in Revelation. What we have in Mark 11 is a counterfeit coronation. This event is something that people did. Something that, the, that Christ allowed to happen. But something that was not truly crowning him king. Well, we can hardly blame the crowd, can we? Circumstances of life were challenging for them. The Jews were looking for a quick fix. They wanted relief from their own struggles. They wanted a solution to their current problems. They wanted peace. Socially, culturally, peace of hearts. They wanted to be freed from anxiety. And we are no different. We often yield to temptations of sin because we want a relief. We might scream out in anger. We might have hateful thoughts towards somebody else. We might commit an unkind action of some sort. We seek for solutions and for peace and for, and for freedom from our anxiety. Life circumstances are challenging. Very often we respond to those challenging circumstances by promoting the kingdom of self. We feed our own ego. We compromise our loyalty to King Jesus by allowing unbiblical reasoning to influence us negatively. The 11th chapter of Mark teaches us that Jesus Christ is worthy of our complete devotion. Don't be deceived by imitations. There is only one King Jesus, and He is worthy of your genuine worship. Notice from these first six verses that King Jesus rules with sovereignty over his followers. Jesus was at the end of his journey, which had begun some nine months before when he 
purposefully uh, began zigzagging through Galilee, then Samaria, then Perea, and finally into Judea. Mark uses these first six verses of this narrative to tell us of Christ's preparation of coming into Jerusalem. The emphasis in the description demonstrates Jesus' exact and precise foreknowledge, his sovereignty over the events that would unfold. In fact, in verse 3, he points back to his rulership when he refers to himself as Lord, as master of over all. He's reminding us that he is indeed in control. He was back in Bethany on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Expectations were running high. Religious leaders were counseling together as to how they might kill Jesus because so many people were, were believing in Christ and following him. There was an unparalleled tension in the city of Jerusalem. Everybody was talking about it. The Passover was only a few days away now. Would Jesus make a move? It was a question on their minds. If so, when? What would the authorities do? How would the authorities respond if he did? And as the pressure grew, the Lord indeed took definite, calculated, and premeditated action. Christ ordered every step. Christ was, was now going public. Never before had he done anything to promote, his, to promote a public demonstration. He had repeatedly, in fact, through his earthly ministry, withdrawn from, from the, the crowds. But now he actually invited it. Jesus chose a previously unridden donkey as his mode of transportation into Jerusalem. Well, why would he do such a thing? Well, he does so because Zechariah had prophesied that he would... He would do this. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Many of these witnesses knew the Old Testament prophecies. So Jesus' choice of the donkey told the whole world who he was. But it also proclaimed what he was like, what kind of king he was. Zechariah's prophecy described Jesus as lowly, as gentle, as being humble. That is what he was like. Jesus came to the city with peace. He wasn't coming in to conquer. He was bringing peace to a war-torn world. Just as Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would come as the Prince of Peace, and just as the angels had announced at his birth, peace be to the men who, who his favor rest, and just as Christ had told his disciples that he would leave with them peace, we now find Christ coming peacefully into the city. Jesus' agenda, it did not include being a political ruler for this city in which he was entering. His, his, Jesus doesn't come with the, the pride of establishing a physical kingdom. You see, Christ is a king like no other king ever has been or ever will be. So all of these steps were premeditated. All of this was ordained by the Lord of all of creation. Jesus knew what was ahead. Jesus knew about the donkey. Jesus ordered things to be. This week of Christ's life is Passover week. Tens of thousands of, of, of lambs would be slain on that week. However, this Passover would be different from all of those that had preceded it. On this Passover, 
there would be one sacrifice that would be made who would take away the sins of all who have ever believed through all of human history. It will be the sacrifice of the true Lamb of God, Jesus, Jesus our Savior. Friends, this is King Jesus. This is the one who had indeed fulfilled the prophecies prophecies of old. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. Friends, whether or not you are a genuine follower of Christ as of this morning, his sovereign rule is the same today. His way of, of ordering things, his way of ordaining things, is this, his ability to do that is the same today as it was on the day that he rode on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. He has not changed. Jesus still rules. Jesus still knows. There is nothing that's happening in your life in which he is unaware of. He knows your feelings. He knows your sadness. He knows your heartbreaks. He knows your desires. He knows all of your hopes. He knows all of your fears. Jesus knows. Jesus rules. Nothing is taking place in your life that is beyond the control of Jesus. He's ordaining the events of your life. He knows what's taking place. You are in the exact place of employment that King Jesus wants you to be. You have the precise number of children that he wants you to have. You have the spouse that he wants you to have. Your financial circumstances don't come as a surprise to King Jesus. Your health situation is known to King Jesus. So friends, take great hope. Take great hope in your current life setting. King Jesus rules with complete sovereignty. There is nothing that can happen apart from his approval. Rest in your king who has issued you an invitation, as we heard this morning, to come to him for rest. Children in our families rest well when there is stability and when there is structure and when there is control by mom and dad. When they are able to, when children are able to go through life and understand, okay, this is how the schedule is going to go, and there's stability there, and there's structure there, and there's a, a, a level of control by mom and dad. It's easier for children to be at peace. It's easier for children to be less anxious. It's easy for children to rest. And this is the same effect that King Jesus should have on you, Christian. This is the same effect that King Jesus should have on you, brother and sister in Christ. He rules with sovereignty. He rules with goodness over his followers. Jesus is worthy of your complete devotion because he alone is able to rule in this way. Don't be deceived by imitations. There is only one King Jesus, and he alone is worthy of your genu genuine worship. King Jesus rules with, with sovereignty over his followers, but we also see that King Jesus rules with, with misunderstanding from his followers. The misunderstanding that we see uh, in, in this passage reminds us of, of misunderstandings that we have seen on political scenes uh, throughout history. It's very similar to what we see in 2019. Very often, a community of people, whether it's, it's a local community or a state level or even a national level, level well, there, there will be uh, assumptions that are made about a leader. Assumptions that are made about what a leader will accomplish. So people assumed that a particular general in the Civil War would have specific personal convictions because of what side he fought on. However, those assumptions were sometimes inaccurate. 
People assume that maybe the chief justice of the Supreme Court will cast his or her vote in a particular way regarding legislation promoted by the President of the United States. But that's not always the case. People assume that a man or a woman elected to office will keep all of the promises made along the campaign trail. But we know that's impossible for that always to happen. People misunderstand potential leaders. This is the case as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. By this point uh, in Mark's gospel is, and is this point of, of Christ's ministry, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and the crowd was excited and following after Jesus. They're enthusiastic as he ascends the hill into to Jerusalem. And although Jesus was not planning to take his kingdom or to attack the Romans or to overthrow the Gentile occupying power and to liberate Israel, those were the things that the crowd would expect from the Messiah. These are the things that the crowd would be hoping for from this one potential political leader for them. They were looking for immediate relief. The crowd was worked up into a, to a frenzy. In fact, the crowd was so excited that the religious leaders felt threatened themselves. The leaders were so fearful of his escalating power and his popularity that they sped up their, their plans to murder Christ. And that's exactly the way that, that God wanted it. So that on Friday, on the Passover, Jesus would be the Passover lamb and be sacrificed for the sins of the world. The crowd in their, in their frenzy starts crying out. It may have been kind of an echo. One group singing, Hosanna. The other singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the first group singing, Hosanna in the highest. It's quoting from Psalm 118. There was a history of, of celebrating with palm branches, and it was a symbol of joy. And the palm branches represented their desire to be delivered. This was an act of affirmation, at least superficially it was, that Jesus, you are a king. We're going to acknowledge you in this way. You are going to be our sovereign. The pilgrims coming to Jerusalem were anticipating the, the liberation from Rome's oppression. They were showing their loyalty, admitting that he was their ruler. Jesus, what does he do? He tolerates it. He tolerates this period of celebration but he does so with the certainty that nothing will obstruct the divinely ordained death and crucifixion of God's Son. Everything the crowd shouted was true. This is the King. This is God's King. This is God's chosen one. But it wasn't God's timing. For the very next day, the crowd is fickle. When Jesus attacked their religion by attacking the temple, and when Jesus didn't do what they wanted, they immediately began to turn on him. And by the end of the week, instead of crying out, Hosanna, blessed is, he who, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, instead they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. Jesus was misunderstood by his followers. The people often misunderstood who Christ was. They misunderstood why he came. They misunderstood what he was about. They misunderstood what his intent was. Friends, this is often reflected in our own life. We affirm Jesus as king. And every Sunday we come together, we come into these walls, and we sing things like crown him with many crowns. Or we sing in Christ alone. And we, we cry out truths with our voices. And we say amen as we read God's word. And we know that he is sovereignly ruling over all. And yet, sometimes we go out and we live as if we don't actually believe what we have professed with our mouths. 
what the crowd shouted was true. Sometimes we're shouting truths and not living it out in our life. We need to properly understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the ending. Jesus is the creator of our world. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. It is only through Jesus that someone can be born again. It's almost as if this passage is teaching us not to miss the forest for the trees. Don't miss what is right in front of you, friends. Don't miss what you have heard this morning. You've been placed here in this room to hear about Jesus Christ. I wonder how often our devotion to Jesus is just as fickle as the crowds that day. We make a big deal about Jesus. We do lots of pomp and circumstance, right? We, we do the church thing. We have the standards thing. We, we make a big deal about our love for Jesus. And then something happens, a sort of hardship in our life. And we begin to question Jesus. And our devotion wanes. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is not an app. Jesus is not an add-on for your life. Jesus is king. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the only one who can make payment for your sins. So bow in humble acceptance of his kingship. And by true faith, follow him in good times and in bad. Don't be deceived by imitation. There is only one King Jesus, and he alone is worthy of your genuine worship. King Jesus, Jesus rules with sovereignty over his followers. King Jesus rules with, with, with misunderstanding from his followers. And thirdly, in verse 11, we see that King Jesus rules with mission for his followers. He comes into the city, and then he goes into the temple. And this is where we see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where we see the intent of Christ. True worship. That's what Jesus wanted. That's what Jesus intended. That's what his mission was, is to make true worshipers. It's not ultimately about getting saved. It's ultimately about giving God glory that He deserves because He has chosen you before the foundation of the world to be part of His kingdom. That's the theme. That's the theme that is seen in this fake coronation. We see that this is a, a mission that, has, that is happening and being carried out even after Christ has been rejected. He comes into the city. He was fully aware that at the end of the week, that the people would be rejecting him, and King Jesus was on a mission for those who had blatantly rejected him. Friend, you need to understand that you and I and all of us have blatantly rejected God. The Scriptures make plain to us that every one of us has sinned, that every one of us has turned our back on God, that none of us naturally go after God, that none of us naturally seek God. We have rebelled against our Creator God. And yet the Bible tells us that while we are yet sinners... Christ died for us. Christ was on a mission of mercy. Christ was on a mission to come to people who had rejected him. King Jesus doesn't just rule. His rulership is intent on saving those who have willfully gone astray. That is what we have done, and he has come after us. This was a mission of cleansing. Christ would, would cleanse the temple that week, and he would cleanse the hearts of every person who places their faith in his atoning work. Only Christ can remove the stain of our sin. 
You can think back over your sin of this past week and you can remember how you rebelled against God and you can remember how you were unkind to people and how you were hateful to people and how you had sins of your thoughts and sins of your actions and sins of your words. And you can, and you can go to God you can say, God, thank you for Jesus who died on the cross and removed the penalty of my sin and removed the stain of my sin. He cleanses us from our sin. And Jesus went into the temple he looked around. What's he doing? Why does, verse 11, let me read it again. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple when he looked around about upon all the things. And now the eventide was come. He went out into Bethany with the twelve. What's he doing? I think he's casing the place. He's planning a strategy for the next day. The object of the, the procession into Jerusalem is, is not Jerusalem in general, but his, the object was the temple. That's where he was going. That's the designated arrival spot. Think about it. The, he enters the city. Lots of messianic prophecies being fulfilled. He's welcomed with an enthusiastic crowd. Really, this appears to be the moment for Christ to receive the kingdom, right? But ironically, nothing happens. In a complete anticlimax, Mark tells us that the hour was late and that Jesus departed with the twelve to return to Bethany in the outskirts of Jerusalem. Doesn't seem very kingly, does it? Jesus goes into the temple. He looks around this center of Jewish religious life to see if it is fulfilling its purpose of leading people to the worship of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The priority of Christ was not to be hailed as king. The priority for Christ was to show that he desires genuine worship in that place of worship. We are great worshipers, aren't we? We worship, we are tempted to worship many false gods. We are naturally worshipers. We could love and worship a political candidate or an athlete or our children or a spouse or our bank accounts or our hobbies or our email accounts or our cars and our possessions and our houses and our clothing. We worship movies or vacations or whatever. The call is to be reminded of the foundational mission of King Jesus, to gather genuine worshipers of the one true living God. Christian, God wants your worship. We are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The priority in our life needs to be worship of Jesus Christ in all things and whatever we do. Don't be deceived by imitations. There is only one King Jesus, and he alone is worthy of our genuine worship. Mark's account of this triumphal entry is noteworthy for what does not happen. The whole scene comes to nothing. The crowd disperses almost as mysteriously as it had originally assembled. Yet, there is a warning for us through this narrative. Mark is warning us against mistaken enthusiasm. He's warning us against mistaking enthusiasm for genuine faith. Enthusiasm for genuine worship. Mark is warning us to see the object of our faith and his worthiness of our worship. Jesus is not confessed in pomp and circumstance. Jesus is confessed at the cross. 
Jesus knew that your heart would be constantly doing battle with the temptations of sin during your earthly pilgrimage. Jesus knew that discouragement would would cloud your way. Jesus knew that physical trials and that financial difficulties and that emotional trauma may challenge your faith even to continue on following after him and continue on worshiping him. Jesus knew that every day you would battle the remaining sin, the flesh, the old man in which you have been rescued from. Jesus knew that there was no way that you could obey God this week in your own strength. Jesus knew that you would be damned to an eternity in hell because of your sin against his Father. Jesus knew that without any kind of divine intervention, you and I have no hope. Jesus knew all of that. So he came. And he came to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the demands of the law in our place. And then he submitted to the humiliation of death a crucifixion. And during that process, he faced the wrath of God the Father. Wrath that was not for the sins of Christ, for he had none. Wrath for the sins of us, our sins. So there on the cross, Jesus appeased the wrath, the anger of God. There, that is where there is hope for you today. There is promise during discouraging times. There is assurance that He will provide for needs. There is the guarantee that He will one day uh, come again. There is a hope that physical trial will come to an end. There is a promise that all the hurts from our past will be healed. There is an assurance that King Jesus rules with supreme knowledge. And there is not one speck of this universe, yea, even of your life, that is not under the control King Jesus. So friend, will you submit to your king? Will you obey the rule of King Jesus? Will you yield to what he has called you to yield to in his word? Will you follow him with that kind of loyalty? Will you follow him with that kind of worship? And will you rest? Will you stop trying to earn favor with God? Will you stop trying to to earn uh, God's love and rest in his accomplished work for you? That is the King Jesus. That is the only one who can bring true rest for your soul, can bring true peace for your soul. May God help us as the people of Harvest Bible Church to be faithful followers of this one true King and that we will live out our lives in devotion to Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.